This episode will explore the role technology played in solving a great many issues facing the town. Guests include John Green, Mark Stockman, and Karen Henderson. Hello. Today our guest is John Green, Director of Technology at Westboro Public Schools. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, can you tell me a little bit about what your position entails and maybe how you fit into um, the school system and to whom you report? Sure. Um, So I'm the director of technology. I report to the superintendent directly. I'm a member of the central office cabinet team. Um, And my responsibilities include uh, instructional technology, um, teachers and students in classroom technology, as well as technology for the um, business operations, um, back-end stuff, um, anything that uses technology within the district for either teaching and learning or for operations. Okay, so that is a huge responsibility. Uh, How many schools are there in Westboro right now? Um, we have a three elementary schools, one upper elementary, one middle school, one high school, and a preschool. So that's a lot of technology and a lot of teachers and students to deal with. So I think that's a very important position. Now, what was your like at life like at your job before COVID? Um, before COVID, it was um, providing technology and technology services to our 750 plus so employees and roughly 4,000 students. Um, so that included, um, again, teach, technology for teaching and learning for teachers and classrooms, whether it was AV for classrooms, um, mobile technologies, laptops, uh, et cetera, um, for teachers. And also for students, we were um, providing technology, district technology for students in grades four through nine um, grades four through six um, had district iPads and grades seven through nine had district Chromebooks and students 10 through 12 brought their own computers. Now, this doesn't just include the, the idea of supporting students and supporting the technology, but uh, keeping up with how quickly technology is changing. So what was your plan for how to um, replace and upgrade before COVID? Sure. Um, so... Before COVID, um, our student devices, we had in a three-year cycle. Um, so a fourth grader would get a new iPad and use it for grades four, five, and six. And then when they went to the middle school, they'd get a new Chromebook and use that Chromebook for grades seven, eight, and nine. And for our teachers, um, we give them a choice of either a um, Apple laptop or a Windows laptop. Um, and we run those for five years um, and then replace those. So that was the life before COVID. And then we have that dramatic moment in which schools are closed, the COVID comes to town, and everything changes in every aspect of life. And how did COVID affect how the schools were managed technologically? So we had to pivot really quickly from being an in-person organization and operation to being remote. So we had... um, to get mobile devices for every one of us, um, students and staff, and then make sure that they had the Wi-Fi and, and internet access 
they needed to be able to participate, um, whether it was learning from home or working from home. So now we had Google Docs and Google Classroom and Zoom and all sorts of platforms that had come out for COVID. How did you make decisions or did you ever have already something in place? Yes, we had been using Google Google um, G Suite, Google Workplace, um, for several years prior to that. And Google Classroom had been a um, up and coming, and um, I said Google Classroom had been a um, in use um, in grades, probably um, let's say five through twelve, um, in, in in varying degrees. Um, so, and we had also been working with uh, Seesaw in the lower grades. Um, and so we'd had some experience and some exposure with those tools. Uh, but so our challenge um, when we went to learning from home in that spring was to make those available to everybody and have everybody know how to use them um, and be and know how to use them effect- effectively. So there was a lot of training and a lot of learning that was going on, especially with the video conferencing solutions like Zoom and Google Meet. Um, we were all learning how to use those and they were releasing new features pretty much daily and fixing bugs daily and responding to, um, challenges such as zoom bombing and, and, and other, um, uh, disruptive, um, practices. Now you've gotten the laptops in the hands of the children and the iPods and the, um, anyone who needed anything to get to work. But what did you do with families that you weren't sure had Wi-Fi in town? Right. So we worked with our teachers and our principals and our um, our staff to identify families that may that maybe weren't um, where the students necessarily maybe weren't coming to class or weren't showing up or they weren't hearing from them. Um, and so then we worked to reach out to those families and and meet them where they were with regard to language, with regard to um, experience with technology with regard to scheduling. Um, so, you know, there were afternoons, nights, weekends, um, whatever it took. And we, um, our high school Ranger Tech Squad, um, a couple of our students there had been researching um, solutions for hotspots because at that time we were searching for solutions for, to provide um, Wi-Fi for families using cell, cell networks and um as was everybody else in the, in the world. So hotspots were impossible to get. Um, but our high school students came up with an idea of buying um, inexpensive smartphones and setting, those up, setting them up as hotspots and giving those out to families, which is what we did. And so that's one of the ways that we were able to provide um, wireless access for families who didn't, have, didn't already have it at home. And they picked this up at the school or did it, was it delivered to their homes? Uh, we did both. Um, we, we had um, pickups and, and drop-in times um, at the schools where they could come in and pick that up. Um, but if they weren't able to come during one of those times, then we would take it to the house and help them get it set up um, right there. Now, we know that fourth grade to high school kids can adopt almost immediately to any changes in te- technology. And But how did you manage the younger grades? How did you um, teach them remotely when they were not familiar with the technology? How did that happen with, between the teachers in your office and the families at home? Yeah, that was definitely a challenge. Um, and I think a lot of the credit there goes to the, the families at home. Um, they were in very, it was, it was challenging times for all of us in many different ways. If there were families there with parents who were 
caregivers who are trying to work from home at the same time as their young ones are trying to, to learn. Um, that was super challenging. And, um, or parents who were caregivers who were working out of the house um, and finding, um, you know, care for their children while they were out was challenging. So we, um, if, if there's an older sibling in the house, um, we often um, work through them and have asked them to help their younger siblings. And that was effective and we were able to do that. Um, and then just working with the families to find out what they needed and, and how to get it, get it to them. Now, how did you overcome the fact that there are 43 different languages spoken in Westboro? And I would say there's a 44th, which is technology speak. So how did you teach parents and younger children to work on technology when there was a language barrier? Yes. Um, so we do have some, some translators and some interpreters um, available as well as um, other community members. So if they had neighbors nearby that could help, we would be able to um, enlist them if they were willing to do that. Um, and I'll, during the, um, the remote learning time, we had a, as a support channel, we had a video conference that was always live. Anybody could drop in. Um, and then once someone dropped in and described their problem, we could set them out in a breakout room with an appropriate person to help them through that. Um, so that, that was another one of our tools for showing the, the families and showing the, the younger kids um, what to do and how to do it. Now, we set it up in the town through your department. And how long did it take to get that in place for the youngest of the children on the iPads, would you say? How long did it take you to get the material to the people, the hookups for them so they could do it? Was it a month? Was it two months? How long did it take? So my recollection is that we resumed um, learning from home within a couple of days of the um, isolation, the, the, the quarantine. Um, and during that time, we were working to get everybody going. So um, we started with the people we had, and then we kept bringing more and more students on and families on as we learned what the problems were and were able to offer them solutions. So I would say probably within a week or so, we probably had 90 to 95% of our students um, engaging in online learning from home. Well, that is truly amazing. One week. Um, now, April till June, we thought this would be over. We thought children would be back in school. And you had to think of more things to do because the school was getting more uh, complicated. Subjects were getting more um, advanced. What was the next step? And for teachers as well, what were you thinking was going to be the next step of what you had to provide? So we focused, initially we focused on reducing barriers um, to access and, and removing friction from the, from the workflows. Um, so for example, when we first started, we did not have a single sign-on um, ability. And so that's something that we started putting together um, as quickly as we could was a way for students and teachers to have a single sign-on that would work among all our tools. And that was especially important for the little ones who, you know, logging in can be hard enough, but if, you, if you're not reading yet, um, let alone trying to spell Westboro or type it out on a screen, <laughs> um, being able to to do a single sign-on made, made a huge difference. So we really focused on on access and on connection, um, keeping the kids as well connected as we could to them, to, to their friends, their peers, and, and their teachers. 
um, to maintain some kind of community. Now, how did teachers, and having been a teacher my entire life, um, when I was a public school teacher, you were always in communication with parents. How did that happen with um, all of this technology when parents might be struggling as well, trying to get through and only know the, the minimal part of technology? Yeah, so um, both Google Classroom and Seesaw have parent communication channels um, that can be used for that. Um, we, we'd been communicating with via email um, to, to families for quite some time, so um, that kept up. And then we, we um, used our video conferencing tools um, as well to connect with, with families as we needed to. So you've done children training, you've done parent training, and in conjunction with that, you were teaching teachers on a regular basis, how to use whatever new, um, I think they call it a product uh, that comes up from Zoom or Google to help ease some of the confusion on how to use it. Um, so you were running workshops for teachers as well. What was involved in that kind of situation? You were doing staff development remotely. So that was similar. We, we would have... Um both scheduled and drop-in video conference sessions on various topics, usually short, um, five or 10, 15 minute, um, we call them tech snacks of, of the, the latest news from Zoom or the latest features from Google um, that we thought teachers should, wouldn't want to know about would help them um, keep using those tools effectively. So, but it, it was certainly a challenge because at that time we had a lot of information streams coming at us with, with very high levels of, of new information that we'd have to, to process and also the, the new features that we were rolling out and trying to synthesize that into a message and, and communications for the teachers and for the families that was short and targeted and concise and able to be understood and acted upon amidst their overwhelming information streams and flows. So that was, that was a challenge. Sounds like it. Now, what were some of the lessons that you learned from having COVID um, disrupt your typical way of running the IT for the schools? Yeah, I think um, having strong relationships was really key for our success. Um, we've had good working relationships um, with our teachers, with our principals and administrators, um, with the, the town uh, and the town technology department um, and our vendors um, and families. So having those relationships in place um, allowed us to lean in on those quickly without having to spend time developing them. And that was a, a, a big help for us because we had already established trust um, and, and, and knew what to expect from each other. So someone in the future shouldn't wait to create those um, strong bonds for a crisis to occur. Good advice. Um, now, you were all far out on your comfort zones of working um, in all different ways. Um, but you had to take on new projects and be flexible. And what were some of the lessons learned for the future about how that flexibility, what kind of equipment you might need, um, has come into the conversation for the future? So, um, yeah, we were definitely well out of our comfort zone for an extended period. And um, we realized pretty quickly that we need to take more risks. We need to be able to... Um, deliver solutions quickly, even if they weren't fully um, 
I guess, fully baked. Um, sometimes the, the needs were so great that something, even though it wasn't, um, you know, I won't say perfect, but even though it wasn't um, as polished as we would normally do, um, we found we had, to, we had to put those out we had to, and, and implement them and then iterate through them to sort of c- kind of clean up and converge on where we wanted them to go. So it was, you know, a quick early release um, and then iterate, iterate, iterate to, to get it to where we needed it to go quickly. Now, do you have a um, plan in place, for example, a schedule for updating equipment or um, how many people you would need to handle this in the future? Yes, that, those have all been been built in now that you know, we have our replacement cycles for our equipment. We have our, um, our a better understanding of, of what it takes to support an organization remotely. Um, and, you know, we spun up several remote support tools that we used for that time and then decommissioned when we were done. Um, so it was, again, it was, you know, being flexible and, and, be, and using available tools to scale up. Um, and I want to say part of what made that possible for us was the, the funding support we got, um, from our local state and federal governments in terms of COVID relief funds and grants. Um, so we were fortunate that we weren't having to spend our time and energy wondering what we could afford, um, we were able to focus on solutions and, and getting them implemented uh, rather than um, worrying about the finance. So resilience is definitely a key and as well as financial support. So luckily that worked for us during COVID. But we're all, besides the positions we have in um, town and the positions that we have serving populations, this was also a very personally challenging time for individuals and families. So I like to ask how people coped with working either remotely or having to go in um, for some, they having to go to work like the fire and the police and the first responders. So what were the challenges that you saw um, at home, out of work, um, that you thought you, was something that really enlightened you and the lessons you learned from it. Yeah. So I was, um, my wife and I were both working from home and uh, we had two teens who were learning from home. Um, so we had the usual challenges with, with Wi-Fi and internet throughput that I think a lot of folks had. Um, but we also took time to develop, um, new rituals that helped us, um, stay connected with each other. So, you know, we got to eat lunch with each other every day, which was great. Never done that before. And, and then, and also, um, at the end of the workday, we'd all go for a walk and visit and decompress and transition to the next part of the day. So it was finding those rituals where we could be together um, and, and support each other. Well, that also sounds like a very good plan for survival. And I remember you mentioned just a little brightness that came from the community when you would come into work, because at the front door of the Forbes building here in town, there would be painted rocks with encouraging messages on them. And so just something from the town to brighten your day while you're working out all the technology glitches. And so we really do appreciate the work you did for the teachers, the students, the families, and getting them prepared and keeping us uh, on track for our children and our community. So thank you. Thank you very much. And yes, absolutely. Those messages from the community were great, not only at Forbes, but at all the schools and in the chalk on the sidewalks in front of the schools. It was just wonderful to be able to see that even though the people weren't there, their thoughts were there, which was really, really helpful and appreciated. Thank you again. Thank you. 
Hello, and I'd like to welcome today to our podcast, Mark Stockman, who is the Information Technology Director for this municipal section of town business. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I wanted to highlight the role that those in the technology field played in supporting the town during um, COVID. And so I will be looking at the school side and the town side, municipal side. So I'm so glad you're joining us. Um, can you just give us an idea of what life was like for you and your staff before the pandemic? Uh, yes. So we, we had our hands full. We just got through two back-to-back -back building renovations over the last six years. So many IT projects were either delayed or temporarily put on hold. But even before the renovations, we were already spread thin. Uh, information technology has been expanding rapidly for many years, and resources allocated to support IT has not been keeping up. Now, when COVID arrives, you've just finished the buildings and doing the mysterious things you do in IT, because I'm low IT, um, you have new challenges. How did you first hear and get the message that um, things were changing rapidly? Uh, so this is, this is still pre-COVID. Pre right. When you're just hearing about COVID and a, a pandemic probably starting, uh, what was it that you were, um, and how were you informed? about what was happening with the town? Oh, you know, the news, um, you know, and of course our, our leadership was uh, keeping us uh, uh, up to date with, uh, you know, I mean, we had Board of Health, we had Town Manager, you know, we had, um, you know, a lot of uh, connections with, uh, to information. So um, they were keeping us uh, up to date, um, you know, as things developed. Now, I found it um, interesting when we spoke earlier about issues facing IT, you, you thought that the town hall and Forbes was at the level of mission impossible and getting everything done in the stress level, but now we had COVID. So I don't know what the next level of crisis is if mission impossible was the, um, the first stage, but you had to move up and move up quickly. Can you tell us what was going on in your office and with your staff to get this COVID under control in terms of the technology in the town? So obviously the pandemic introduced a, a lot of challenges, but we were fortunate we already had some technology in place for working remotely. Still, no one was really prepared for how everything unfolded. We had to expand the technology we were using, and it was definitely a learning curve for town staff. Overall, it increased our workload and made IT, IT operations more difficult. Now, working from home, was that involving setting up Zoom or was it more of a different area of technology that became the concern? Uh, yeah. So, you know, we had to, to get people working remotely. So it was, um, you know, being able to remote into your, your computer. It was being able to handle phone calls. It was, you know, uh, remotely. It was being able to, you know, have meetings remotely. So that would have been Zoom. But at the time, uh, we didn't have Zoom licensing, and it was a little difficult to obtain uh, initially. Um, uh, so we were using Google um, Google Meet. Now, you talked about the phone. What would be difficult about the phone? You just 
pick it up and call someone. Right. Well, the, the <laughs> yeah, sure. That's how it goes. <laughs> Uh, no, so you know, we were fortunate. We had an enterprise phone system with, with capabilities, but we had not never used them. So you know, we would set up mobile twinning so that if a call comes into an office, it would also ring, you know, uh, on somebody's mobile phone, and whichever one picked up first, you know, would take the call. And so it allowed people to work from home and and uh, you know continue to do business as if they were in the office. Ah, so it wasn't. Was it new technology? Did you have to train people to do it, or they just had always known about it? Yeah, there was some there was some training, and and plus we there was a little bit of a learning curve for us as well. Um, once again, it wasn't something that we had to deploy previously. Uh, it was a capability we had, but had never deployed. Now you talked about dealing with vendors. Why would um, I had Zoom and all I did was press a button and download it and voila, I could have meetings. What were the issues for um, a large usage of Zoom for the town, for example? Uh, so, so everybody was impacted by the pandemic. Supply and demand was completely out of whack. It was difficult to get the technology we needed to expand remote operations to town staff. Uh, we managed, but everything took longer than what we were used to prior to the pandemic, uh, which included, you know, things like licensing for Zoom, licensing for remote uh, desktop. It's just trying to get a hold of a person, a salesperson, a, you know, an account representative. Everybody was going through through the same challenges. So you um, most likely had good relationships with those vendors. So that was probably a a benefit that you were working with a community and not just a small corporation, but it must have been a lot of time on the phone trying to get those set up. Uh, when you when the offices were closed, um, were you working remotely? So we were we were essential. So we set it up um, so that there was always at least one of us on on site. Um, it, it sort of was necessary because a lot of our equipment was on site. So, you know, the phone system, a lot of the servers, you know, for applications that, you know, like the financials and assessing and stuff like that was all on site. So, you know, we could do a lot remotely, but as it turned out, um, it was more beneficial for uh, at least one of us to be on site. Yes. When I visited your office, I had an opportunity to um, see your coworker, that giant server in the other room. Um, so that takes manual care or technological care when um, there's a glitch. It can't be done remotely. So you had to be there and um, deal with any issues that came up. Uh, a lot can be done remotely, but uh, there are times where you definitely need to be, um, you know, where the equipment is. So now you have two people that were working with you. Um one person who was another tech person and then a part-time person that was um, more administrative. So did you, you couldn't all be in the office, so you took turns taking over. Did you have to revamp your office in any way to accommodate COVID um, precautions? Well, we all, none of us could be in, uh, in, in the office at the same time. So we all had to be at different locations. So myself, I, I was every other day. And same with the other full-time person every other day. And then the part-time person we had down at the DPW uh, and working more from home. Uh, she could work 
more from home um, because she was only part-time. Uh, DPW, for those of us who don't know. Oh, Department of Public Works. Oh, okay. So we have a, uh, a cubicle down there because we, um, we do a lot of work for, for that uh, department. So you're all spread out. You're all working in isolation. But I've come to realize um, during the pandemic as an individual how important technology is just on a daily basis that you forget when it's um, there that it's so important. And then suddenly you need to depend on it and it's not working up to your standards. Um, can you tell me just a little bit about what kind of fires, as you put it, um, kept coming up that because of outdated equipment? Well, I think that would have happened uh, regardless of the pandemic. Um, yeah, when you, you know, you have to continually update the equipment. And, you know, if I could just get through one day without something breaking, <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be outstanding. I mean, I mean, we just have, we have uh, so many departments and so much technology to cover. Um, I mean, we do AV, we do the phone systems. Um, you know, we do, of course, the network and, and then we've got mobile and we've got all these different areas of information technology that just didn't exist 20 years ago. Well, that sounds like a, a mission impossible task as well. Um, now, what are some of the le lessons that you learned from the pandemic coming to town? As with any type of emergency, it's good to be prepared. Uh, we were lucky another crisis didn't happen at the same time or we could have been in trouble. Uh, essentially, the pandemic reaffirmed what we already knew. Uh, we don't have enough IT resources, um, you know, and we're, we're doing, uh, we're taking steps to, uh, yeah, correct that. Okay. So now are you planning any, um, writing up any document that would give the next generation who m most likely will encounter a um, difficult situation? steps to take? Do you, Are you in the process of doing a plan for that? Uh, it won't necessarily be, um, you know, a, a pandemic-related plan, mm -hmm. but yes, we are going to have uh, formalized disaster recovery plans, emergency plans, whatnot. Now, were you able during this time to find funding to improve the systems while you were in the process of the pandemic, or is that a lesson for the next year, two years to find additional monies to update or create the contingency plan? Uh, so, so the state or, or federal government uh, provided a good amount of, of money. So, um, you know, initially it, it, it hurt us, but uh, by the time we were mid-pandemic, we were getting enough money to cover that uh, overhead that was, um, you know, forced upon us. And finally... How did you feel when the pandemic was over? Did you say, I remember you saying Mission Impossible when you were just talking about the Forbes building. Um, could you do better? Were there things you thought, oh, I could have done that much better? Is that the discovery, the disaster recovery plan? Is that the improvement to the systems? And will that make it foolproof or with technology? Is there no such thing as <laughs> Oh, the pandemic's over? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that. I mean, I think it's constantly evolving. Um, you know, I mean, the things we put into place now may be antiquated in five years or 10 years, uh, hard, hard to say. 
Now, on a, on a personal side, you're working remotely and in the office. You have a family. How did you balance all of those out as an individual um, coping with COVID? Uh, you know, it was great being at home, um, you know, for, for, you know, hanging out with, you know, my kids and my, my pets and I mean, the dog and the cats, they, this was like the, this is the best thing for them. They got full attention every day. Um, but at the same time that, you know, those were distractions from, from, you know, getting work done. Um, so, you know, my work day probably was longer than it should have been. Um, but it also had more breaks than it normally does. So there was a silver lining and mission was almost accomplished. So I'm so glad that you survived on the other sides of the critical time of isolation. Uh, and hopefully we won't see that again in our lifetime. But I'm not all that optimistic. <laughs> so I'm glad you have a plan. And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for in inviting me. Hello, and thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is Karen Henderson, the general manager of the Westboro TV studio. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Mary. Now, the TV studio um, has been around for several years, starting early on as a uh, charter of um, that was given to the town and funded through cable TV stations. Um, so that's an interesting addition to a town, um, something that we don't find every day. So the town should be very grateful for such a wonderful asset. So tell us what life was like at this studio station um, before COVID. I know you have three employees. Um, Aiden Hargan is the studio manager, while Jeff Poole is the technical producer and of course, you have that darling little dog, Pixel, as your mascot that I've enjoyed seeing every day when I come here. So there's three of you. What was going on before COVID? And then we'll talk about what happened in 2020 when everything changed. Sure. So, um, yeah, we do have a relatively small staff here. And Westboro TV, for people who aren't aware, covers, um, it's normally local access referred to as PEG access, and PEG is public education and government. So we cover things that are happening out in the public. We cover things that are happening at the schools with education, and the government portion is most of the meetings that happen around town. So we go in and uh, record those town meetings, board meetings, committee meetings. Um, and before the pandemic, you know, really busy. We have a very lively studio in downtown Westboro. We moved here in 2014. Uh, into the old um, Avidia Bank and before that Westboro Savings Bank building uh, with all our beautiful windows. And um, it was great. We were here for, um, you know, six years before the pandemic hit. And and again, busy. Um, most of the things we would do when there were events, um, whether that's sports or concerts or a speaker at the library, we would go and we would record that event. We would bring it back to the studio and then we would edit that and in a next day or two, put that out for people to view, um, usually on TV. And then with the advent of 
um, people watching a lot more online, we started putting those on YouTube. The only things we would go live with were government meetings. Those we would go live with, and those would go live only to TV. So if you wanted to watch a live selectman meeting, you would tune into our channels on Charter and Verizon, the two TV channels, and you'd watch them there. Um, so then the pandemic hit, and things had to really shift. Um, so there was a lot there, but one of the things that happened, I think, you know, um, that live became king. So the things we would do would go out live. So all meetings, people could no longer go in person to see a meeting. Um, and that's a big deal, you know, that open meeting law so that everyone has access and there's transparency in what's going on in our government. Um, people wanted to have access and they could no longer attend. So the only way that they could um, see and know what was going on in here, what was going on at the meetings, was if Westboro TV participated and we would record those and broadcast those out live for people. So we all know about Zoom and Zoom became the way that those committees would meet and Westboro TV would be in that Zoom and we would broadcast that out both on our channels and on um, online on our YouTube channel. We would live stream those. So as an example, uh, the year prior to uh, the pandemic, we did about 100, 110 meetings um, that we put out for the public. And uh, the year of the pandemic, that was closer to 250 meetings. So we had to really increase the number of things we were doing just to make sure that people had access to all of that, which I think is a hugely important thing for them to have that transparency in government. So we played a really big role in that regard. Not only did you have to cover it live, but um, you must have had to adapt how you produced or how you um, videoed uh, or filmed these going from having something that you were filming and then taping. Um, what was that like? What was the learning curve for that for your staff? Right. Absolutely. So I think we really had to become much more creative. So prior to the pandemic, there would be events that would be held and Westboro TV's role would be to go and record those events um, and make them available to people who maybe didn't have a chance to go or people who wanted to rewatch them afterwards. So again, whether that's a, a speaker at the library or a um, Memorial Day event, a Veterans Day event, um, we would go and, and just record them, bring it back here to edit, edit it very nicely together, and then put it out for the public. And again, we couldn't join together. So those events couldn't happen. So the year of the pandemic, people would come to us and say, okay, we can't have the event, but um, we still want to have something for people and we want to do a video. We all agreed a video would be great. Um, so they would come to us with this idea for a video without necessarily having a, a firm understanding of you know, what that would look like or what that would be. They just knew they couldn't get together for their normal event. So if I take, for example, um, one of the Memorial Days, um, we went out and we had to piecemeal together a memorial event by um, making lots of appointments. We would have individual people come into the studio. So there'd be one person in the studio giving a speech and I would be in here recording it. And then we would have the bagpipe player and we would meet them out in front of Forbes and we would film him and we would go and have one selectman putting a wreath 
um, you know, at one of the cemeteries. So there were just all of these individual events that had to happen that we then pulled together into one piece that we could put out for the town. And I got to say, people really ended up loving that. You know, if you remember, we were all locked in our houses, basically. And um, and we put together Memorial Day is, is a good one as an example, because that Memorial Day 2020 it had been a couple months since we were told to kind of separate and, um, and and not gather. And we put together a really beautiful Memorial Day ceremony that year um, with music and with many, like I said, we made all these appointments for people to speak. And so people got to uh, see each other and um, see some of those town officials and veterans and um and some of the sites from around town, and we put some really nice music to it. And um, I think it just made people feel like they were together, even when we couldn't be together. And, you know, we've talked about that, but kind of we were there when the town couldn't be. And that's really how it felt in the pandemic. So that that was a good example of the creativity that had to be um, used by us, again, kind of almost helping create the event. That's right. not seems, what we did before. It seems like you shifted from being... Um, a quiet observer of the community to really being an active participant in the events. And that must have been a change for those behind the scenes having to step up and really orchestrate the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that was um, that that really shifted what we did. And and that's continued. You know, I think we take a much more creative approach now and work with people more now on you know, either creating an event or creating a story. We do a lot more of that than we did before the pandemic. Um, there were still some events that happened, you know, religious events, for instance. Um, but those services, people couldn't get to those services. And so for us to go and record those, um, we were recording them, live stream them for people. Um, so they were all separate. But to put that on TV, not even just streaming, um, but to be able to watch a religious service from your couch and the comfort of your home, you know, your family room with a with a spouse or family members um, was just really nice to be able to do for people who couldn't be gathering. Um, sports were another example of events that were happening, but no one was allowed to go, not parents, not fans. So these kids were playing, they felt like in front of no one. Um, but in the end, it was being broadcast out and live streamed. So not only on TV in Westboro, but live streamed so grandparents, aunts, uncles could watch. And, you know, we we started um, like soccer as an example. We started doing play by play and we were doing shout outs to people. So we would say, um, you know, shout out to the Neff family watching from New Jersey and it's grandma Neff's birthday today. And we just want to say a happy birthday. So we had some of the girls and families send us information and the families loved that because again, people were looking for things to do and looking for ways to connect because it was just so difficult at the time. And that was one way where people could watch and talk to their grandchildren or nieces or nephews afterwards to say, well, I watched the game and you did great. And that was something we did not do at all before the pandemic um, and I really think made a made a big difference. We had so many people comment to us on how it brought their family together and how special it was. Um, so, you know, something good, I feel like, that came out of the pandemic, right? Well, this nonprofit TV studio has integrated itself into every important aspect of the community, whether it's faith-based, 
whether it's students and their athletics. I know you host um, journalism classes here and how to do broadcasting. Um, you are even supporting this podcast in creating a space for us and purchasing new microphones. And so this has been a wonderful experience for me and for the guests who've come in to talk about the pandemic. So this idea of three people seeing a mission that they had, but were willing to change it so dramatically, and the role you played in our democracy is really important. And I don't think enough people pay attention to that, that you were at every town meeting about even the most, um, the smallest issues, you were there. So the town never lost its footing. It never said we couldn't do it uh, or didn't know about it because you were there. And I think that that's a really significant contribution, um, as well as to the kids playing their games and the veterans celebrating their holidays. The fundamental things that make a town a town uh, were covered by you and your staff. And I think that that's really commendable. And I'm only looking forward to what you might do in the future. Do you have any lessons learned that you want to take some little nugget of what you're going to draw into the future? Are you going to become more producers of events and programs? Are you going to be out there creating series of things? Or are you still going to be the heart and backbone of the community? Right. So um, thanks for a lot of those comments. I really appreciate some of uh, um, of what you said there. So I appreciate that. I really think that um, I used to refer to us as like the video scrapbook of Westboro. I felt like we were kind of collecting history as we'd go along and you could look back at the videos and, um, you know, with some amount of nostalgia or for information gathering, um, entertainment and so I kind of saw us as this video scrapbook, and I think we still do that. I still think that that's a, a good way to look at it. But I also think in terms of the lessons learned and um, how I see us now and our role in the community, the pandemic really did, and the work we did then, shift my thinking about our role in this community. I think I see it um, even more so now as being very significant and that we really build community here. I really feel that we do that. And I think that we are appreciated in the town for that, you know, that it's not just this little station that, oh, yeah, they record some stuff, um, that we really do help build community. And kind of through that lens, I feel like I can lead us to more ways in which we can connect people and um, inform, educate, entertain the people in the town um, so I think, I think moving forward, that will be a main focus. Um, and I, I look forward to it. Your acts of kindness to those folks you shouted out to at football games and events, you're providing, um, those who are vulnerable populations who couldn't go out to see their children's graduation or their grandchildren's graduations. You were really there for the town when they couldn't be. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Thanks to all our guests for sharing their experiences, as well as thanks to the various Westboro Facebook pages and their managers and the community advocate newspaper staff for helping keep the residents informed during the pandemic.